0: Wow,
1: hey man, hey, wow, we're back. Holy we are. Film Heartbreak Babble
0: never tasted so good.
1: That's right. <laughs> if you're listening to this, this is the first episode um besides the bonus episode. We're recording um continuing the list of yeah. uh the sight and sound top one hundred, um, which is what this podcast film babble is based around. Woo! And um it's been it's been months.
0: It's been quite a hiatus.
1: Yeah. A summer. Um five months. Did five take. months. Five months. Holy shit. June. No, Almost six. Wow. Almost six months. Wow, 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 wow. What's happened in those last couple months?
0: So much has happened. So much has happened.
1: Everything has changed. It's December today. Nothing has changed. We're in the same room we've been in for most of these episodes. Mm -hmm. The same books are all scattered across the floor.
0: Scattered across the floor?
1: (laughs) Charlie has a very organized bookshelf, which I love because I I do as well. But it's kind of getting disorganized because of how many there are. Because I'm such a bookworm. <laughs> Either way, um, I I love coming here because I get to see all the books on. Yeah. And and yeah.
0: I call it my library.
1: Mm-hmm. This is where I live.
0: <laughs> Every morning I wake up and I look, <laughs> and I see, see all the knowledge. I see my land. That's right. My my literary land.
1: Every time I like i'm near a gym with someone i like to make a joke of like this is where i live this is my home at the gym yeah do you i live here to work out or no i do i i like to work out but i don't i haven't lately um it's so good i need to to get back to it it's great to see (laughs) we We haven't seen each other in the back (laughs) um anyway back to the show um
0: how are you all doing I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, me too. It's so That's wonderful great. to hear your voice. Awesome. Um, we're doing well too. Well, and... I was
1: thinking a, a way of like kind of catching back up, first episode back, in a way that won't like date the episode, because when this comes out, it'll be like six weeks. From now. Like six weeks yeah. from now. Um, in in the interim, in in these six months, we haven't been watching these movies. So, what have you been watching? What have you been like into in terms of movies?
0: Well, as you would know, if you'd listened to Certified Copy, I watched Days of Heaven this past summer, and that mm-hmm. that's probably been the movie this year, besides the ones we've watched on the list, that is, like, really... Stuck around, yeah. Yeah, like, rattled my brain a little bit with response to, like, just cinema. Yeah. With regard to cinema. Um, I would say that, and also, Itu Mama Tambien, which you yeah. showed me, which we watched yeah. at the Academy Museum, which was that such was awesome. a cool screening. Yeah. Um, those two movies have been the ones that have really pushed my idea of cinema and yeah, dude. excited that thing in me that this list does. Mm. So those would be the big ones. From this year, though, I would say uh, really, really, really loved Anatomy of a Fall.
1: Mm. I just, just saw that.
0: Killers of the Flower Moon. and um, Barbie. Barbie! Yeah, I love Barbie! 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 Well, there you have it. Those are those are probably the the well. I mean, Any directors. So, so many great. Um, I well, I've seen the rest. I've seen all of Xavier Dolan's filmography now. Boom. Um, so that's done. Never gonna do. That no, again. never going back. I've seen some more Terrence Malick. I watched Badlands as well. Mm, what do you think a Badlands? Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, it's interesting because I had seen Tree of Life and Days of Heaven, which mm. are to me such. Just complete masterpieces, and Badlands is is his debut, and it's a great film. But it's one of those movies where you see like the beginning, and you yep. see all of these things starting, yep. and that is so exciting. And it's a great film of its own right. But having seen those two, yeah, it is. I mean, it's definitely eclipsed, but also it's cool to see where where, where it comes the, from, mm-hmm.
1: the sign of yep. or the shape of Malik to come. Exactly. I saw my first. Terrence Malick movie in the theaters at, uh, the new Beverly cinema, the thin red line. uh Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, I really want to see badlands in days of heaven. Um, but I'll get to it, you know? Yeah, for sure. But, um, it's, it's, he's one of those blind spots for sure. Him and like Fellini, I feel like I've never seen Mm a Fellini film and
0: you haven't seen eight and a half.
1: Never. Wow. Yeah. Me neither. And of course, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, cause I I don't know. He's he's just one of those directors that like has completely missed my orbit um, until this year. So that's that's been exciting. Um, and it's it's. Have you seen that movie, Thin Red Line? No,
0: I've only seen those three. Uh, okay,
1: um, pretty crazy movie, but either way, that's fun. Yeah, we you know we've been we've been busy with the we've still been watching our movies. Don't you worry, audience. <laughs> um, What have I been watching? Um, Movies that I really liked over these six months. Fat City, directed by John Huston. An early 70s film about a boxer who's a loser. Um, I loved that movie a lot. I've been watching a lot of Sam Peckinpah movies. Um, I watched The Wild Bunch, I think, last year, or maybe early, early this year. and um, It blew my mind, and I've you know been watching all of his movies. Fassbender. Yeah. I just finished that book. I've been reading oh, really? about Fassbender yes. uh two nights ago, so I've been like super excited to watch all of his movies Rainer i Fassbinder, kind of getting into German cinema through that. um I don't know. any random movies? hmm, I feel like that's yeah Peck and paw Fassnder. And um, Fat City is what is what I'll call it. At, but um, this episode's a little interesting in that we were supposed to. This is supposed to be what it, maybe I consider almost the the final boss of like this <laughs> this podcast next to like Satan Tango, yeah, things like that.
0: The under it's definitely the underboss to that movie, right?
1: Th- this is like you ever play Twilight Princess? No, Zelda game. Mm-mm. What games do you like? Pokemon. Oh, Pokemon. <laughs> like before the Elite 4 or of, of the Elite 4?
0: The the fourth the dragon trainer before yeah. the champion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's like this one that's of cinema. the bosses, right? Yeah. One of the final bosses. Um that's what this episode is supposed to be. Hisuido Cinema. Um but we can't find it anywhere online. So we might like order it we're we're gonna have to figure out how to get it. Yeah. Um, and if you're not familiar, it's a you know, series, Technically, yeah. Um, it's really fucking long, and um, it's kind of scary. You know,
0: maybe maybe instead of finding it or buying it, we just make we'll it. make it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly yeah, what I yes, was gonna say, dude. Because yes. like we've seen some Godard now, and and we're we're starting to understand the beginnings of the history and the stories of cinema. I think that damn we could, man I think we could we could reinvent it we could we could recreate it we could probably get blindly. closer to
1: his original vision,
0: yeah, I think we could probably do it better, frankly to be honest because we're American and we're gen Z
1: mm-hmm. which cinema started in America he was
0: a boomer, right yeah, he was a boomer. he was boomer. a baby boomer
1: and he was full a of
0: baby boomer he
1: was full of <laughs> he was you know he was all revved up with nowhere to go and we got somewhere to go
0: we have the tech.
1: <laughs> Featuring Chat even... GPT.
0: <laughs> he didn't even know digital cameras could work.
1: Seriously, he never used it. He never. When did he die?
0: 1830. <laughs> he was a child. He was one of the Melier
1: brothers. What? He was one of the melee brothers.
0: Are they the ones who <laughs> invented cinema? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Oof. enough about this. <laughs> Instead of Histoire du Cinema, we are yeah. watching. David Lynch Blue, Blue
1: Velvet Blue Velvet Blue Velvet. We're watching Blue Velvet instead of Historic Cinema. Um I've seen this movie before. Me too. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not I'm not excited.
0: <laughs> I am excited. I I was I'm this is one of the ones I'm the least excited about because mm-hmm. I've seen it. Yeah. But it's a great film. And yeah. it's been a while. So. I've only
1: seen it once. Me too. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what it, what it what it garners.
0: There's one specific line that I that I
1: routinely quote Pabst blue, blue ribbon of yeah. course yeah yeah um yeah. Dennis Hopper yeah is in this film Kyle MacLachlan Laura Lord Dern. Dern
0: Isabella Rossellini Salini.
1: there's a no, there's like a, a an actor Susie who has a... Sissy Spacek
0: plays Laura Dern's mom right
1: No fucking way who, No way Am I crazy who 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 plays She's her mom? like sh- Sissy Spacek Oh she was like a child at the time Yeah well not a child, a child but, but in like her around yeah, a little a little bit older than plays her mom. Um, I'm not sure. But someone hope ha- Lange, I don't know who that is. Some kind of character actor or something has like a small role in this that I remember being like, What the hell is Jack that? Jack Nance doing is in here? it. Jack it might be Jack Nance. Brad Doriff. Brad fucking Doriff is in this movie. Um, who I love. And Dean Stockwell. Um, kind of a a lynch, you know. One of the big Lynch guys. Mm-hmm. It uh, was also in Paris, Texas, which I think about a lot, even though I haven't seen. I just like that's a movie that I really want to fucking see. That me I really too. I,
0: I I keep itching to watch it. Well, it's not on the top one hundred,
1: so we can't. I know. Oh, we, yeah, let's let's watch it sometime. Sam Shepard, dude, mm-hmm. love Sam Shepard. Um, anyways, yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know. Oh yeah, Angelo Badalamenti on the on, on the, the keys on the keys for this one, Tickling which is ivory. really uh, exciting. I, I love his music. I mean, I mean, we love David Lynch. Yeah, I think you might like him a little more than me.
0: I love David Lynch.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've, have I seen more David Lynch movies than you? Probably. Which ones have you seen?
0: I've seen Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, and Twin Peaks, the series,
1: the original series. Mm. I've seen all of those, except for. Wait. I've I seen those and Firewalk with me, the series I haven't seen the third um season. I haven't seen that either. Um and fucking I've seen some of his early short films which are really great. And um I haven't seen Dune, I haven't seen Wild at Heart. Me neither. I, I really seen, want to watch Wild at Heart. Yeah, it seems super cool. And um what else did he do? Oh, Inland Empire. And, and then Empire, which is my favorite. I yeah, fucking love I, Inland Empire. I want to see so desperately. And I got to see it in theaters, which is amazing. And um, and shout out to... Uh, I have so many friends who love David Lynch, and, and they kind of like... Well, shout out to Henry Merker, who's supposed to be on this episode, but we kind of had this kerfuffle with Histoire du Cinema. But um, audience, you will be listening. You'll be hearing Henry Merker's voice on this show soon. His so golden pipes. Yeah, ready for that. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I I wouldn't call myself a David Lynch Stan, but I, you know, I, I re I think he's a great director and I love a lot of his movies and, um, that's it. Like, like I'm excited, you know, he's, he doesn't like sit in my heart as one of my favorite, most beloved filmmakers, but not everyone can, man. Yeah. And I have no beef with him and, um, He is like a a true artist. Yeah, you like agree to disagree. I agree to disagree? With him. What do you mean?
0: You're content in your discontentment.
1: I'm not discontent. I never said I was discontent. You
0: said you're a malcontent. You're a malcontent. I'm a (laughs) malcontent.
1: I'm a (laughs) malcontent. I'm a petulant malcontent. What do you think of that?
0: I don't know what to make of it. Okay. Well, what do you say we we skip the preamble? We don't really do much of an intro.
1: We just did an intro.
0: I mean, to each their own.
1: What the fuck <laughs> are you saying?
0: <laughs> and we watched Blue Velvet. Let's do this.
1: Um, okay, yeah. No No other things to say? Nothing... Oh,
0: yes. I have other things to say. What's up? Uh, Spirit of the Beehive, which is the last
1: film we yeah. watched.
0: I think about that movie a lot. Um, that movie really stuck with me. And yeah. like... It's kind of like a little itch under the skin. Yeah, I was really. I want to watch it again. That was yeah. that was that definitely was a great episode too. Yeah, that was one of my faves. Um,
1: for sure. Yeah, looking back on those movies um, we watched in the first season, um, yeah, Spirit of the Beehive was this was a nice kind of like ending to that mm. to the era. Yeah. Um, and it was our fifteenth episode. Awesome movie. Yeah, really really awesome movie that I that I want to watch again. Um, Frankenstein
0: and that director Victor Erice, has a new film coming out does he mm-hmm. it was no in Cannes last year no way or this year
1: okay that's great um, okay yeah alright well then, then let's watch Blue Velvet then yeah, what do you say f- further ado alright bye where's
0: the glasses that beer's gonna get warm one thing I can't fucking stand is warm beer makes me fucking puke
1: Darling, where's the glasses? Here, Frank, here come the glasses. See, here are the glasses.
0: Raymond, where's the fucking beer, man? It's right
1: here, Frank. You want me to pour it? No, I want you to fucking! Shit, yes, pour the fucking beer! The concept of the world, this is... Is it Slava Yes, yes, gorgeous pieces. I don't know. (laughs) You don't know who that is, Brad. I
0: know who it is. I I don't know him.
1: You don't know what he sounds like. No. He has a real distinct way of speaking. We're recording. We just watched.
0: Is that your vibe coming out of the film?
1: (laughs) Is yeah,
0: yeah. Wowza! What'd
1: you think?
0: That's a doozy. If you don't mind me saying so. I do. Well, I rescind it.
1: Um, <laughs> I take it back.
0: Where do you begin? Where do you, where do you <laughs> <Yeah>. start? <laughs>
1: this is a weird movie. It's weird. Yeah. If you ask me.
0: You ever seen a David Lynch film? Not you, but one. If one hasn't seen a David Lynch film.
1: Might be a good place to start.
0: Depending on your sensibilities, for sure. Cause it's definitely a lot like I don't know. I just feel like the um volume of like violence and sex and nudity yeah. might be off putting if you're if that kind of thing scandalizes you.
1: It might be sort of talking to my the mom. most like <laughs> uh not darkest, but um Maybe the most explicit, like Lynch movie that I've seen. You know, I haven't seen Wild at Heart. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lost Highway is or pretty The Straight Story. Too. Yeah, but this feels a little like um, more lurid. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It's it like leans so heavily into like the voyeurism and the mm. violence, like um through that uh, that that it feels a little more. Like, um, not exploitative, but like um, within within that kind of camp of like, it's shock like, and yeah. sex also, and yeah, violence, like an erotic
0: thriller. Yeah, I would say. Or like, it, it definitely uses uh, elements of erotic film, but it's a lot. I mean, it's very disturbing.
1: Yeah, yeah, but. I Maybe the most, no, no, I don't think this is the most disturbed I've been by a David Lynch film.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not.
1: But it's up there. It's it's pretty disturbing, especially the like kind of middle point sequence mm-hmm. where things take it up a notch.
0: Yeah, it's very suspenseful. Um, Yeah, so I guess we'll start by talking a little bit about the plot. And, um, as always, if you haven't seen the movie proceed with caution, um, this is one where it's a film that is, is so much more than the plot. I mean, most, most of these films are, but this one is like, you can know exactly what happens and that doesn't, I mean, to me, I don't think that that reduces the impact as much as another film might, because it's the the way that it all unfolds and the way that David Lynch shows you the story that is the sublimity of it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also an awesome film. It's extraordinary, and it's like got great you know early Laura Dern performance, early Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin. I think it's McLaughlin actually. I think that's how I heard Laura Dern perform, pronounce it in an interview once.
1: I don't know. Whatever.
0: Um Arguably, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Is un- I was about to say. Real. Dennis it's Hopper's like one of greatest the greatest performances ever. Yeah, he's fin- he's terrifying and
1: enormous. Dean Stockwell is amazing in it as well.
0: Who is Dean Stockwell?
1: He's the the like his friend who sings. I forget Oh, his name. Ben. 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 Oh, ben. yeah. And
0: Isabella Rossellini is mm. so fascinating. Yeah, she's just one of those actors that's just like so bizarre and mm. magnetic. Like you, you, like you, you can't take your eyes off of her. But there's something really off
1: about it. Yeah, which is works totally A real in this tough film. character, man. That's so, yeah. that's a fearless performance yeah, from, it from is, her.
0: It is. It is.
1: It is. Um, and Brad Dorif, uh, Raymond, I think the his, one of his goons with like the long mm-hmm. hair. Yeah, I recognized um, him. I, I loved him, man. I I mean, Brad Doriff is one of the great character actors. And I, I'm surprised he isn't in more Lynch movies. And he might be. I'm not sure. As far as I can remember, this is the only one he's in. But he like fit in perfectly mm-hmm. with the whole vibe. Um, <laughs> Little Jack Nance. Jack Nance <laughs> is also one of the goons, which is really one my, funny.
0: One of my favorite scenes in the film is when he goes, I'm Paul. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, do you want to start by describing the plot summary somewhat?
1: Yeah, uh, Blue Velvet is a mystery movie um, about uh, like a college kid, mm-hmm. right, coming home from school he's... to his the town of Lumberton. Uh-huh. His name is uh, Jeffrey Beaumont. His dad had a stroke. He's coming home, uh, and he's kind of bored. Doesn't really know what to do. Walking around this town where everyone kind of knows everyone. Um, and he finds an ear on the ground near a shed that he kind of hangs out at. And that prompts him to go on this mystery into the seedy underworld of his town um, involving a, a nightclub singer and a criminal, drug <laughs> man, Kingpins, guy, maybe? drug guy. Um, Bizarre Booth. demon maniac. Yeah, um, and uh, a man, uh, a man in a yellow suit, referred to as the Yellow Man. Um, in typical kind of David Lynch fashion, you know, with these these strange characters and quirky, um, quirky kind of rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's also. Um, hanging out with the daughter of the police officer, who he initially reports the ear to. Um, what's her name again? Sandy. Sandy, played by Laura Dern, and yeah, he kind of entrenches himself deeper and deeper and deeper into this into this situation. But this is one of those movies where, like, um, it's very much—I would argue—probably one of the great um, anti-mysteries. Mm-hmm. where um, there's very much a mystery to follow and there's a plot, of course, but it's, m- I would argue, more about the guy doing the investigating more so than, you know, like, the plot, the unraveling, you know. Yeah, it's um, like
0: what he's discovering about himself and his world as opposed to...
1: Mm-hmm. Well, e- even us as the audience, we're, we're, like, just as interested in the why of him why he keeps doing this why he does what he does um we are just as interested in that as we are in the in in the plot which uh reminds me a lot of under the silver lake a a, a movie that i that i love a lot but you know it was kind of was kind of polarizing uh when it came out for good reason because it's kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. where it follows a man um investigating this thing and um it ends up kind of being more about him than anything else um, and, and that's, that's arguable, you know, some people might watch this movie and disagree, but that's kind of my take on it because, um, voyeurism is a big part of this movie of, uh, you know, watching, invading people's privacies and, and, and personal lives or whatever. Um, and the kind of, uh, not to say it's, it's like explicitly, I don't know arguing about the ethics of that or anything. It's just it's just happening. You're see you're seeing a man like kinda cross not even cross some boundaries. Cross that's some sure. big fucking mm-hmm. boundaries and and take advantage of of that. And it's all it's all like that's what I, I really like about um David Lynch's movies and this one in particular is that there's no um like all, all, all of these, these, you know, the themes that that I brought up, um, particularly of warriors, it's just brought up through action and and like there, there's no, there's no, it doesn't feel like a play or, or anything or a novel or it feels like cinema. It feels like um, sound and images are making me think about mm-hmm. these things as opposed to, you know, a character like philosophizing about the concept of warriorism or something like that it's it's like the fact that kyle mclaughlin or or uh, jeffrey beaumont picks up the ear he just does it there's no you know we're not seeing that process it's just he just does it and he moves on and and that enough is is like is a shift mm-hmm. where you know and and it's a it's a good you know, i'm kind of rambling but it happens right at the beginning of the movie and it kind of like perfectly sets up everything else. Like, he's the kind of guy that if he sees a fucking ear with ants crawling all over it and it's moldy, moldy, <laughs> and fucked up, he's going to grab a bag and grab it and put it in the bag. He's going to
0: pick up the ear with it. <laughs> he's going to pick it up, yeah. And put it in a random donut bag
1: and not think twice apparently just do it he's gonna do it well
0: and he thinks it's the right thing to do yeah which is also the thing that you learn is like Mm -hmm. he's just got a very specific idea of right and wrong and how to do it
1: yeah yeah so when he starts getting involved in this situation um i didn't find myself questioning it's like yeah he's this kind of person that's gonna do this, but it, it's also done with that kind of Lynch surrealism, um, the dream logic, right? That um, that that he like that Lynch can um, just sell like no other. Like you buy it, you buy. It. I, I bought every second of it. Mm. Um, There's some iconic moments in this movie that go completely unexplained. Um, that. Are amazing and that could easily fumble you know what i mean particularly the death of a of someone a dead character in this movie that's found standing up dead standing up um which again that's kind of a spoiler but also whatever yeah
0: well um do you do anything else or
1: no i mean um I don't know, man. I like they, I what I love about his movies is I I don't think I've been more nervous to talk about a, a movie than this one. Really? Yeah, because they're so subconscious. They like dig theirs, they dig themselves into your mm-hmm. brain and like, you know, we you and I watched Lost Highway together, and if we had to do this podcast after that, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what I would have said. It's, I would have cried. Damn. All right. That movie really?
0: freaked me out. <laughs> I loved it, but I just like, I was so yeah. like busted after watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the a, first time <laughs> it kind
1: of gets under your skin. Yeah. Um, I still,
0: I still freak out a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's awesome movie, but, um, it's, I, I find his movies extremely hard to talk about and almost pointless to like necessarily, um, analyze in a conventional way. Yeah. Um, there there's he's he's someone that rejects that and and like clearly in his process his artistic process doesn't think about that doesn't Mm -hmm. think about like um like how an audience is gonna ought like analyze it and and the symbolism or what you know whatever the things that um a lot of art house movies kind of like are are
0: implicitly doing yeah
1: yeah which is, which is not a bad thing, but it's, well, it's yeah. what makes him an artist, you know?
0: I think that's a great segue for us to, like, really... To end. ...analyze it, really, <laughs> conventionally.
1: Um, what do you so think that the note, ear symbolizes? No. <laughs> I think it symbolizes the death of the American noise pollution. But, um, the-
0: it's It's so interesting watching this movie again, having seen some more David Lynch, because I think this was the first David Lynch film I had ever seen
1: really
0: really really and i watched it with my friend Yasmin a few years back and we were i i was house sitting it was a dog sitting and house sitting at this like really huge nice house in fort worth um and i was super paranoid i get really i have like a lot of paranoia and anxiety um just in general about like the darkness i get really mm-hmm. afraid of like intruders and i don't know it's, uh, ever since I was a kid, I've I've been a little uh, wary in the dark, I guess. And you're afraid of the dark. Yeah, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm a little pansy. <laughs> you're a bitch. <laughs> no, but we were in this well, huge yeah. house, and it and we were watching this movie on like a couch about where intruders, where <laughs> you can see like like this like this whole house, all these rooms. They're like courtyard. And their front yard, and this this huge window right next to the TV room. And I was just like, this is such an awful place to be watching this film. Yeah. I, I, I ended up feeling so frightened yeah. that night. I'm <laughs> I, sure, man. I woke up to the dogs I was taking care of. They were barking at like 4 a.m. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but anyway, all that to say, watching it again, I, f- I honestly felt like I understood it. In like, a, in like a more conscious way. Like there okay. were elements of, or for me at least, there were elements of it that I I was just like noting and like, oh, wow, I see how he's kind of like exploring the threshold between the conscious and the subconscious mind. And kind of using, to my mind, using like the idea of a suburban ideal ver, uh, versus like the criminal underworld as like, the polar opposites of, like, conscious and subconscious, potentially. Mm-hmm. And I I came into it, or at least when I began this way of thinking about the film, you know, it it, it begins with these blue velvet curtains billowing as the, you know, opening credits, credits roll. Which I love. It, it feels it's, like an
1: homage to old Hollywood Totally.
0: But it's also, like, you know, this texture, and, like, blue velvet has such a specific look and feel that you can, you just puts you in that mind, which actually that's a tangent, but it reminded me of the opening of Priscilla, which has a lot to do with textures and like a character experiencing different textures. And I thought that that was a really, in that film, a really also a really great way to enter you as an audience into the film, but I digress. Um, But then it, it, it fades from the blue into this like perfect blue sky and scrolls down to these like beautiful red roses gently blowing in the breeze in front of a white picket fence and all of a sudden you're in this suburban utopia of the 1950s maybe or like 70s or whatever and
1: it feels like a, like a it's trying to capture the 1950s yeah. american um what's the name of that i forget but yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's like it, it, the, the music, is from the, 50s, yeah, the music the is from the fifties. Yeah, the music is from the fifties. White picket fence. Uh huh. The camera movements are very like languid and mm. slow, and you're Bio kind truck. of just like relishing in this like nice, beautiful afternoon. Um, everything's very bright. It's pristine, um, and then you go into Jeffrey Beaumont's house, and his mother is watching a show where there's like crime. It's like a gangster mm. show, or a, there's a gun on screen. Mm. And I think that that sets up a really interesting thing that is to come, which is these people who live with this feeling of safety and sanctity are so enamored with the idea of crime because to them it's not real it doesn't really exist, you know it's a fear but it's it's a dream yeah like they don't they're not confronted with that, so they're like excited by it and they have this voyeuristic instinct mm-hmm. for things that are uh, less stable and less clean okay. um, which I thought I just I felt that that was set up there and then I thought it was you know expanded upon um, when his father you know falls down while hosing the yard and we go down into the dirt and we're going through this like, like perfect green and lawn and it's all of these like bugs you know crawling around and it just like has this feeling of darkness like entering mm. the darkness within the perfect green lawn um and I just I don't know. I, I I just started to feel this kind of balance it was setting up mm. between light and dark and especially later on with the colors red and blue, with the concept of like lightness and darkness and dreams and reality. Mm-hmm. It like takes these two in the film's terms for me, polar opposites, and then like accentuates them separately and then like blurs the lines. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get lost in the middle yeah um
1: yeah it doesn't feel like a um a descent you know what i mean mm -hmm, for jeffrey um yeah it's like a blurring um because you know uh the the environments he finds himself in they they you know we have uh all right pardon me skipping around a little bit but we have Dorothy's apartment. We have uh, Ben's apartment, and we have the the slow club or whatever. Mm-hmm. And don't they go to like another bar, like he like uh, Frank, or do they take him to the slow? He follows him from the slow club to uh
0: the his apartment
1: to his apartment to uh-huh. Ben's apartment.
0: No, to Frank's apartment, and then he stakes it out.
1: Right. Right. Which you never go into, right? Mm-mm. We never see the inside of it.
0: We just see his name on the placard. Um, Which also, just wanted to point out, Dorothy Valens lives on Lincoln Street, and Frank's last name is Booth. No. <laughs> I mean,
1: why not? Um, I don't know.
0: Lynch would do that.
1: What do you, We don't know. We don't know. Him. I think he would do it. All right. Uh, Dorothy Valens is a placeholder for John Wilkes Booth.
0: No, she lives on Lincoln Street and Frank is Frank his last name is Booth. Yeah. I don't think she's a placeholder for John Wilkes Booth.
1: You think he's a placeholder for John Wilkes' Booth? I don't
0: Booth. think either of them are. I just think it was it was an intentional contrast.
1: Cool. <laughs> Do you agree? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. That's a cool little note. Um, but yeah, the 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 environments we find ourselves in, they don't like dirty necessarily they like it feels like they start to abstract they start to just kind of pull apart in a strange way like the set design in these apartments is very strange Mm -hmm. um it feel it feels like someone's dream of this yeah of i had a dream that i got involved in this CD underworld but it wasn't really a CD un- you know um so i i i agree i agree with that yeah. it's it's not a uh, it's it doesn't feel like it's grounded in a in a conventional reality or a um a conventional crime underworld you know because we we know next to nothing about the actual crime that's occurring. You know, we know that...
0: It involves drugs and murder
1: and... Drugs are a part of it and the cops are... A cop is in on it and that's kind yeah. of it, you know. And, and that's all we really know when we watch those cop movies is like, I mean, you know, they tell us more, but like, we don't understand anything, you know, we're not like,
0: you know what I mean? In it, yeah, for sure. I think... Um... Well, when I first started to notice this thing that I'm talking about, I felt like it was Sandy and Jeffrey represented the real world and the dream world was invading. And like Jeffrey was was witnessing like this encroaching reality on reality. But now that it's over, I'm like, no, they were living in dream world and reality was encroaching. Or something like that. I mean, not to, not to say that it's so plain as that, mm-hmm. but just like the idea that I think at the end, and I didn't come to this until I saw a scene very near the end, which is Sandy and Jeffrey at that little basement party, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, they're the dream.
1: Who, what do you, like? Like, going. they're
0: the dream. This happiness, this peace, this safety of this suburban community that's the dream. All of the the, the fear and the chaos and the, the murder and the crime, that's like the threat of reality to the dream. Hmm. That's where I landed by the end of the film. But I, I, I felt kind of the opposite for most of the film where I was like, we're starting in the real world and then we're introduced to this like kind of crazy, like hell basically yeah um and like like just pockets of hell are just popping up in Jeffrey's world, and he's witnessing it and like trying to figure it out and tracing the seams um and Ooh, have, the, I this all the
1: suburban shit feels like a, like like a dream too, especially the opening. well, that's what I was saying, yeah, but like I don't know how i don't I don't buy how it how it became reality in the end for you
0: no that's not what i said what'd you say i said the opposite of that i said that i at the beginning i was like because we're starting in this world and it's like this is the this is the world that we're in this is the way that the characters exist in the world this is the logic of the world i was like okay sure so this is the real world and all of the darkness that starts to creep in is like the dream world or like this other dimension and then by the end of the film, I felt the opposite. That like the happiness, as I said, the happiness and the peace of the suburban world is the dream.
1: Got you. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I didn't even really make a distinction. It was it all felt like a dream. Um, I think like, uh, at, you know, I, I don't, I can't really like put it together in my head, but just all of it, felt like it was coming in and out um, in terms of its uh place in, in reality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I think like in terms of in, for the purpose of interpreting the movie, like I'm with you, but watching it, I had, that was not my experience
0: Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what I was, that's what I mean. It's like, like it's all very dreamy and like the stuff that happens with Frank and the crime isn't realistic. It's just like, my interpretation became that is, like, the threat, you know, to David Lynch's idealism or, like, his suburban utopia mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. Like, maybe it's a response to things that were happening in America at the time, like, post the
1: 50s and the changing world. Yeah. it's. See, it's so hard with this stuff, man, because um, – It feels so, uh, his movies feel so like, that's hard to say. Not thought out in a way of um, the world. The the world feels like that's just how it was. That's just how it is to him, Uh to Lynch. But I think there's like, there is no, um, not to say he's a completely instinctual filmmaker and it's obviously we're speculating about how he makes his movies, but in terms of how it feels, it's, it, it just feels, um, it feels instinctual. It feels like he had a dream and wrote it down Mm -hmm. and, and his, and just through the nature of dreams, they, they like, prod at politics and, you know...
0: The conditions of your life. Re-
1: yeah, exactly. Um, and through that, all these things spring up. Um, and it's it can be hard to make heads or tails of, like, what's the dream, what's the reality, you know what I mean? It feels like... Um, I don't know.
0: But that's kind of what I felt watching the film, is, is that I felt as a viewer, the threshold. And I felt the lines crossing and blurring. And I'm like, in one moment, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is a little bit more grounded. And then all of a sudden I was thinking, no, this is completely, this is total dream. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is... uh, Maybe, probably an intended experience to question yourself and to question what you believe about a given moment and a given scene Mm -hmm. and a given action. Like, one moment you think it is true and real, and then the next moment you're like, wait, something's off. Something's amiss. Yeah. Where either we're drifting or I was misled. Mm -hmm. You know, I I falsely believed this.
1: Yeah. And I I think I, I my experience, I felt like I was watching it as if I were dreaming, kind of not question, you know, not questioning, yeah. but um, just with it, mm-hmm. just with it. And because ex- I'd seen this before, so right. I wasn't like, wait, what? You know, I knew what was going to happen. Um, I remembered most of the movie and I just found myself kind of going with the waves. Yeah. And I just, okay, this happens and this happens and this happens and... It, in this movie, that's just how it is. Um,
0: mm-hmm. well,
1: you know, the,
0: yeah, there, there are a couple things early on that really like got this gear turning, um, including like Laura Dern's entrance. Yeah. She wow. emerges from darkness as this like rosy cheeked mm. uh, human embodiment of purity. Her name is literally Sandy. She has the Sandy from haircut, uh, Sandy from Greece, like hair sort mm-hmm. of maybe, um, And also, later on, when I was hearing Blue Velvet again, and it it goes, Blue Velvet, Blue Velvet is the night. Softer than satin was the light from the stars. I was like, okay, so she's representative of that.
1: Satin of the light of the stars?
0: Yeah, softer than satin was the light of the stars. I feel like that is her. That's her character. She's kind of like, she is the light Mm -hmm. uh, She always wears pink. Uh Uh-huh. And... And she and Jeffrey are like true crime nuts. Like they're so intrigued by this mystery. Like they bond over that and she mm-hmm. has like details and he, she's like, do you wanna see the building? And they get a kick from it, a kick out of it. And so when he makes the plan and she's like in on it and they go and knock on Dor- Dorothy's apartment and do that whole thing, that is when I was like, none of this is real to them. This is mm-hmm. nothing, they've never seen anything like this in real life. So this is all like exciting and fresh and different and and a risk, mm-hmm. you know, something outside of their typical life, but it's not real. And then all of a sudden, it starts to become real for Jeffrey and for Sandy, which is why Sandy starts to waffle a little bit more, and she's like, "No, I don't want to do it anymore." Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I will help you, because it's like there's something intoxicating about yeah. it, but just as intoxicating, it is terrifying and yeah. like um, repulsive.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you think um, the movie is doing explicitly to to blur the lines?
0: I think it uses uh, sound design for sure. Mm-hmm. You know where it's playing the fifties music, or where it's playing this more like environmental ambient. Angelo Bala a hum. It, it hums, uses harmonies hums, and specific harmonies,
1: but like environmental hums, mm-hmm. like like it, like it's coming from a generator or something. Yeah, and he'll. Um, one like all the sound in, in a given scene could be like that hum as the as the room tone or whatever and uh really like clear dialogue that kind of cuts through it and nothing else and it's it feels like um almost like a first pass and and and, and a conventional movie's sound mix, you know, but it it adds to a like a a dis, a disorienting kind of mm-hmm. strange feeling that I love. and It is so yeah. clearly like a stylistic choice and um, works so well. Like particularly in the scene where he pretends to be a, a like a fumigator or whatever, a pest control dude breaks into Dorothy's apartment, and that's all the sound. That's all the sound of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. It's totally sound design is like insane.
0: Yeah. And, and I think every time he goes up the stairs, the sound is different and it like changes the effect. Like Um, the going up the stairs to Dorothy's apartment. And I remember the first time it was like the Angela bottle like kind of harmonic hum. Mm -hmm. That's like a little bit dreamy and a little bit. It's very different from the music that has played in the rest of the film. I think, Mm -hmm. um, and that feels like a divergence. And also in that shot, when he's going up the stairs for the first time, and it keeps like flipping around and catching different angles of him, um, parts of it are using a fisheye lens with a close-up on him. I noticed, but not all of it. Just parts of it, especially. Fi- I didn't me. notice a fisheye lens. Or uh, what? Not a fisheye lens, perhaps. What's the one? Maybe it's a type of zoom. I don't know. I'm not very educated on this, but uh, where like the edges are all blurring, and it's like focused in the circle. Hmm. I don't I don't know what that's called. Spherical lens. Yeah, maybe maybe not fisheye. But um but it was a a lens like that yeah. that created this like warped thing on the stairs that was disorienting and frightening. And that's where I felt like, you know, he was so excited to go in there and they had this plan. And then as he was walking up the stairs, the anxiety is mounting and like the feeling is changing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like he's starting to get dizzy yeah. about the fact that he's about to do this but it's so subtle. Like all you do is just feel that as an audience member, you just feel yeah. the emotion of like when you have gone to do something that in plan seemed perfectly simple. And, and then when you're actually walking up to do it, mm-hmm. like your body starts to react.
1: And, and I think in the way Lynch uh, frames and blocks scenes in this movie um, also adds to the, to the, surreal to the surrealism kind Mm -hmm. of going throughout because it feels like uh in a lot of moments um like a uh like a hollywood melodrama of the 30s or the 40s you can a lot of the scenes are like in wides you know that cut to close-ups when it's appropriate um or like medium close-ups not even like super duper close-ups obviously things kind of complicate as it goes and as things get more intense but a lot of scenes are just like you you see you know all the way from the the thighs up and you're seeing an entire room and maybe two or three characters will fill up the room um and it's like it it makes so much sense to me because when i i dream i dream like uh I feel like I dream through the the movies that I've watched you know what I mean like I feel like um, a lot of things that happen in my dreams come from movies and just because I've been watching movies since you know I was born and they've like informed how I see the world how I see things that I've never actually seen and person before and and i can only imagine that's the same for lynch that he's like um that part of his like kind of exorbitant set design and use of color and um kind of taste for melodrama and heightened quirkiness comes from that kind of like a warped version of you know i don't know like a You know a '30s, '40s Hollywood film that I'm sure he, I'm sure he loves that shit because it Uh just feels like totally indebted even from the very first frame. That like the blue velvet, the title with that font, it feels very like MGM um, in the '40s. That's yeah, which which I find interesting. uh
0: It's also probably coming out of post, you know, post World War. He's I imagine growing up in the '50s. I think. Um, He's
1: 77.
0: So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: He, was, he was born in the 40s or... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Growing up in the yeah, 50s. In the 50s. And, and it's so clear and, he has, like, at least a fascination with 50s Americana. uh uh-huh. Like, the... the And this movie is, is pretty explicitly about that, like... You know, I feel like the first take, first pass read of this movie would be, you know the underbelly of american sensibilities, right? like mm. the 50s, you know, at, at following the war, we tried to pretend everything was all right and, you know, the nuclear family is the ideal american thing and and it's all a bunch of bullshit, right? smile. Yeah, and exactly. Enjoy the weather exactly.
0: and nothing could go wrong.
1: Um and not to say that's wrong and it's like, oh, you didn't fucking pay attention, but like that's what the clearest thing about that opening is right.
0: Well, yeah. And it's also the like, roaches in the grass. Mm-hmm. You know? And if everything is so perfect, why do I have all this anxiety? Yeah. is That's, that's a general thing I get from David Lynch. You know, mm-hmm. when something is so perfect, it's also really frightening and there's something about it that is off and upsetting. Yeah. Like Twin Peaks is a great example, which also I did not, I didn't, remember watching this the first time but like this and twin peaks are so i mean all of this stuff is related like they're, they're all yeah. very close cousins but like there are so many things that i can see how they like ended up in twin peaks mm-hmm. that like definitely were worked on in this film as well which was cool mm.
1: and the score um not it's i'm it doesn't really relate to my my relation to the twin peaks Oh my god, I can't talk. So the score is not as iconic as the Twin Peaks score, obviously, but it is kind of. um,
0: It's a precursor. It's
1: it. Well, it feels kind of like a precursor, but, um, it that's almost like. I really noticed around. I really noticed this time around how fucking great the score is, Mm. and how much it really elevates the film, whereas with Twin Peaks it can. Like, the score is so good, obviously, and iconic. And there are moments where it's like, this is the Twin Peaks score, and we're using it, and it's great. Yeah. Whereas in this film, it's like, it is about the moment more so than the, like, Twin Peaks of it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: for sure. It's more blended.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because which, I think Twin Peaks great.
0: spends a lot more time in the, like, this is the beautiful suburb, you know, like mm-hmm. like those are moments that are leaning into the melodrama and the soap opera and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. All right, I want to get into uh a little bit into the like the context of this movie in in David Lynch's career because the movie he did before this was Dune. Ha. Huh. So, Blue Velvet came out in 1986, uh-huh. and I had forgotten while watching it, I was like, did this come out in 1980? No, it doesn't look like it, but it also doesn't look like a 90s movie. I, I knew it was the 80s, but it makes perfect sense that it's smack dab in the middle, 1986. Either way, two years prior to this movie coming out, uh, David Lynch made the infamous, um, the infamously panned Dune. Dune. Um, that was a complete bomb. Everyone hated it, and you know,
0: and he was super, it changed super his career.
1: About he was very disappointed. Um, and the, th- this comes from, you know, in, in the years leading up to the making of Dune in 1977, he had his debut with a racer head and then he made the elephant man three years later, which was kind of his critical or I would say commercial breakthrough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the studios were like, Hey, let's make, let's, uh, give him a shot and make him do this movie that he shouldn't do. Um, And either way, so his career was kind of in this tumultuous period, David Lynch, um, following the bombing of the bombing (laughs) of of Dune. And um, I almost thought watching this, because I had forgotten about that, um, about how this comes right after Dune. um, I was like, this could easily have been the movie that broke him to make Dune, Um, but it wasn't but um the interesting about this interesting thing about this movie is that it like i feel like it maybe and you know correct me if i'm wrong i i'm under the impression it it like really confirmed him as um maybe like like i think if you were a a david lynch fan you saw the first two movies Dune came out. It sucked. You're like, oh, fuck, man. I thought this guy was going to be great. And fuck, like, whatever. I'm disappointed. Then two years later, Blue Velvet comes out. And it's like, never mind. He'll be all right. This, this, this movie. This is one
0: of the, like, the new, most prominent, important yeah. voices in cinema. Yeah. Maybe ever.
1: Yeah. Like, that. this is how you come back from a bomb, you know?
0: Well, and I'm sure, like... I mean, I know, I don't know too much about Dune, I've never seen it, but I feel like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like part of the reason Dune was such a disaster is because he had a very different idea of what he wanted to make from the studios, and Mm -hmm. it created this conflict that ultimately resulted in the film not being what anybody wanted it to be. Yeah. That's what I think. Because I think it was supposed to be much, much, much longer, and all the stuff and I think Just they, different. They, they ran Just out different. of the budget and yeah. all kinds of things happened and then what came out was not what he wanted it to be mm-hmm. and it was a failure. So it makes sense that, you know, in this film, it's clear that he had, you know, room to to roam.
1: Not only room to roam, but rancor. He yeah. was he was like He was like,
0: I'll show you. Yeah,
1: this is yeah. Seriously. It, this is a subversive it feel it feels like you know and this was done by a De Laurentiis Entertainment Group which yeah. i'm not even sure is still around <laughs> um founded 1984 defunct 1989 according to wikipedia do you know Laurentiis? yeah yeah literally um but uh it's it's yeah they they let him do whatever we want whatever he wanted and it feels like a conscious subversion of studio cinema
0: yeah. God imagine you know, imagine being an audience member in the eighties and going to a theater to see this. I thought
1: a lot uh it have, of the Squid and the Whale while yeah. watching this. You know, have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. Where uh Jesse Eisenberg like takes a girl on a date and she wants to see uh what does she want to see? Whatever the popular movie of nineteen eighty six was, maybe Dirty Dancing or something. Oh, and he's like, No, let's go see Blue Velvet instead and he goes with him and Jeff uh Jeff Daniels. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, the three of them see oh, Blue Velvet, and and they see you see on the screen, you know, like Dennis Hopper choking out Isabel Rossellini, yeah. and the his date is like super uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, that's all that's all I could think of whenever I thought of like, man, imagine seeing this movie. Well, you
0: I'm know? thinking about like my mom watching this. I I don't remember if she's ever seen this, but like the idea of her in the 80s going to a theater and seeing this mm-hmm. is so funny. Because, it, like, there was nothing else, I mean, especially to, like... Still. A, to like a, still. No, nothing for less, sure. Yeah. But, like, yeah, you don't go... Oh, yeah, you never see a film like this in theaters. But, like, to a movie-going audience, this is uh, a tonic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, And it did well from what I can garner. Not, like, amazing, but, like, compared to Dune, you know, it made its budget back and, like apparently the the reception was was polarized in terms of it you know the critical whatever it
0: was kind of like the shining in that way right where people were like what the is this this is a piece of shit and then some people were like this is high art yeah and and ultimately that latter perspective won out yeah
1: which is so funny And, and part of like the interesting parts of these movies um some of these movies is is like be we we're we have the uh the privilege of uh looking back Mm. at these movies with the knowledge of you know today they're considered the greatest movies ever but um at the time they might not have been received that way and i feel like through doing this um i don't know like you you and i have seen movies together like that have come out in the past you know however many years we've been friends at this point Mm -hmm. like *Bo is afraid
0: we've been friends for a little over a year
1: really yeah yeah you're right like a year and a half right
0: we met in august last year
1: okay either way we saw Bos is afraid together which was a very polarized yeah. like you know polarizing <laughs> mm-hmm. movie um which i think like will be looked back on as you know i don't think it'll i, I think time will treat it well yeah not to say i'm i'm the you know, whatever.
0: I think about that film a lot too, in in that way. Yeah. I think it it was under uh underappreciated when it came Mm -hmm. out.
1: And it I think purely on the grounds of of artistic merit. Um and chutzpah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. I mean and Blue Velvet has it in spades. So like to look back on it and, and hear that some people fucking hated it is unsurprising. Um and I don't know. I feel lucky that lucky. I sound like a prick. No, but no, feel lucky that we just, can we can look at movies coming out now and kind of see that reaction and be on the right side of history.
0: I was just thinking about that. I was looking at Oscars <laughs> Shut up. I was just thinking about that because I was looking at the Oscar predictions, which I always do because I'm just curious. And they're always wrong, but they always piss me off, like really piss me off. Mm-hmm. And for this upcoming Oscars, Oppenheimer is predicted to sweep. And I I know you haven't seen it, and I know um, pretty much everyone, most people I know, really loved it. <sighs> but I just like I can't <laughs> I can't imagine that in like Sigh. ten years or fifteen years, people are gonna watch that movie and be like, "This is the greatest movie ever made." Yeah. I don't know. I think I don't think it's gonna hold up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I don't know that. That's just kind of my own dogma. Right, but, right, right. Um, I don't know. I've just been thinking about it a lot and like how, how celebrated it, it seems to be in yeah. that film that feels like so lacking in like mm-hmm. this artistic ingenuity. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And I think that's that's you harsh. Know, that's harsh. I mean, it's it's a very,
1: it's a big Whatever, it's, your, it's your opinion, it's probably, yeah. you know. Um, I think like, you know, we live in a time where opinions are loud and like uh they have to be kind of dissected um just if you're on social media that's how opinions are treated and i th- the thing is i don't think they're any different than they were in terms of how people are feeling i think the the way in which we engage with them um is in this very uh The way in which we engage with opinions is, is, is like a never ending loop of, of yeah. thought and thought and thought, thought and yeah. argument and thought. And I think like once this phase ends of our kind of cultural
0: hyper-awareness, yeah,
1: because I believe it will end, like, it's not
0: sustainable we'll,
1: yeah, it's not, we'll look, we'll look back on it and we'll look back on this time and be like I'm sure there will be people who'll dig up a copy of Bo's Afraid and be like oh shit this is a cool movie what did people think about it no really okay okay you know um and I'm sure the same shit was happening in blue velvet like I'm you know it might have felt loud then too you know probably did yeah um I'm like man what? no one else thinks this movie's fucking brilliant man this, this is the coolest thing I ever seen or how could you like this hack bullshit you know yeah. it's all the, i I think these things stay the same. These trends stay the same. So, um, either way, this this is a fucking this is kind of like a middle finger movie, hmm. especially in the end too. The ending, the way it ends, is really like what? Okay, all right, like w- yeah, okay, you know, I love it. but yeah, also, I love it too. But.
0: Um, it makes me think. I just was reading about uh, uh, Ernest Hemingway's relationship with this uh, fan turned writer uh named aaron samuelson i think who wanted to be a writer and he sought out ernest hemingway because he just couldn't figure it out and he was like will you can you be my mentor and okay. ernest hemingway took him on a on his boat for a year <laughs> and they just like hung out and shot the shit and fished and he like uh-huh. taught him everything he could think of and um one of the things he said is he was like writing is is an art where no one is a master everyone is an apprentice And I think that's just true of art. I think art, to be a great artist, you have to always be malleable Mm -hmm. and like an apprentice and learning and like changing. And so going off of what you were just talking about, about like opinions, like you can have a super strong opinion to a film like Blue Velvet and be like, what the fuck is this hack bullshit? And then come back to it six years later and like have a new experience you might not like it or think right, it's like the right. best film ever but like the artistic eye is evol- ever evolving yeah or ought to be because so is perspective your perspective is always changing yeah you know to, for it to stay the same you are hindering your capacity yeah and i think that that's worth noting Agreed. i mean, i might watch oppenheimer in 10 years and be like I was wrong. It was fantastic. I was wrong. Christopher Nolan is our generation's um David Lynch. (laughs)
1: Tony (laughs) Honey, (laughs) dude. Oh, that's funny.
0: Um wait, I feel like I have more to say about the film before we leave.
1: Not too much. Um
0: Cheers to fucking
1: cheers to fucking yeah Dennis Hopper in this movie is so fantastic it's like
0: and just mad dog mad dog perfection (laughs) but it feels so real and so uh nuanced like there's so many levels and layers of his performance Mm.
1: it doesn't feel I mean we said we called Rosalini's performance fearless but this is a fearless performance too. like wow wow and
0: i, I think uh, so i sometimes especially feel... in the
1: 86 to uh-huh. do that shit mommy fuck whatever all that like baby want fuck baby want fuck to say that <laughs> with his full chest man
0: with
1: his fu- and in 1986 like a yeah yeah when he's
0: fucking yeah. <laughs> it's
1: so ridiculous when he's, like
0: assaulting her. yeah
1: when he's assaulting her but it's super emasculating and like you know he's always been a, a like say what you will you know a lot of people hate his fucking movies but um He'll go there, you know. He he's he he's like ready to to do the thing, yeah. man. Um, so yeah, dude, his performance is amazing. When he walks on screen for the first time, he's he like, I remember feeling, yeah, he should be here. He's mm-hmm. so assured. He just fits into it like, yeah.
0: Well, and and something yeah, I feel like course. David Lynch's work in general is like he has a lot of actors that are very archetypal mm-hmm. uh, or characters that are very archetypal. And he uh, he'll often have actors that like create the image of this person without really living in it to my eye as an actor. And like, I think that's true of detective Williams in this film. Yeah. Like he represents this like father figure and this detective without seeming like a really fully realized person. Um, and That's true for a lot of the other characters as well. But like Frank is a realer than real person. yeah. And that's part of what makes him so scary and unsettling because everything he does is so bizarre. And like uh, anybody you've ever met, but it's so committed and grounded and like fluid. Like Mm -hmm. every turn he takes feels so motivated and so committed. And it's just, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, it like I was watching it and I was like this has to be like one of my favorite performances ever.
1: Yeah. It is it's so awesome. good. That it you know, it's no surprise why the quote we both shared before we even watched it was P- Paps Blue Ribbon. Yeah. It's like most of the shit he says is just like
0: And like if I were if so I memorable. If I had a script and it was like Heineken fuck that shit Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> yeah. I would never think to do what he did. Yeah. I mean yeah there are a million ways an actor could interpret that role Mm -hmm. and his way is so specific and Mm -hmm. so formidable. And like, I wouldn't want it any other way.
1: Yeah. Agreed. One of my favorite things in, in movies or plays and dialogue is swearing. I think swearing is like one of the most expressive ways to like communicate through characters and he swears beautifully. Yeah. He calls everyone fuck.
0: Yeah. But, but what are you
1: doing? Fuck.
0: <laughs> I think <laughs> I love it's, it. it's kind of a knife's edge with swearing because, like, the more acceptable it becomes in commercial film and TV, mm-hmm. the more you see it and the more you hear it and the more lazy it sounds. Like, we watched this film. I won't say the name because I. It. Okay, it was called. Um, <laughs> I forgot what it's called. Fair Play on Netflix.
1: Is that the succession one? That's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was holy shit! You just threw up a little bit, dude. What? I'll what?
0: Say. <laughs> here's what I'll say: the swearing in this film, every line has like a fucking or a fuck or something in it. Oh it yeah, so bad <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so forced,
1: and it's like well, of course, like
0: anything. If you know, just anything took be done it, wrong. just take it out. Like, just don't even say it. The line mm-hmm. isn't good, but that fucking is the cherry on top of the pile of shit. Like, wow. It's such a <laughs> it's such a, a razor's edge, is what I mean. Well, to say yeah, earlier. of course, of, of, course. of, of like, it's like cursing anything. in, in yeah, art. Yeah. Like, if you're gonna curse, it has to be it has to be um, um crafted specifically yeah, for yeah. the character. It yeah. still has to feel real. Like, it is very powerful, and it's a very powerful um mode of communication and of like. Mm expiating something expiating some emotion um and everyone does it differently and everyone uses mm. a different inflection and like like you said the way Dennis Hopper curses in this movie is masterful
1: yeah <laughs> it's some great swearing yeah he said like with fuck too i mean fuck is a um might be the most uh fragile of them all you can yeah. you can ruin a fuck really easily and and Dennis That's- Hopper implements the word fuck like a you know
0: like a gourmet like a chef it's it's the it's Giro, the finishing salt yeah. <laughs>
1: fucking cutting up the most perfect that's what fuck is fuck is like sushi it's like a simple kind of simple ingredient fuck one syllable you know
0: and most of it's
1: you can like apply it in many situations serviceable right yeah 99 percent of it is kind of throw away well, nothing yeah
0: not quite sushi but
1: it's sushi. Fuck is sushi. What would you call it then?
0: No, I, I get, I get the
1: metaphor. I just like
0: there's, there's good sushi. Not oh, ninety. Yeah, well, of throw that's hyperbolic. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, that's, that's, what I meant.
1: Um, I mean, let's be honest. Most sushi tastes like fucking dog shit. You don't eat it, <laughs> honey. I do eat it. You I eat, eat sushi no not fish but oh, I, okay. I eat like eat, egg tamago yeah. sushi okay, okay. i'll eat like imitation crab, cucumber sushi or like avocado Wait, is
0: imitation crab vegetarian it's not is it it's white oh, fish
1: whatever i eat that's um if it's fish i don't eat it
0: N- never mind
1: if it's white fish why would they say white on. fish all right um <laughs> gonna bleep that out <laughs> um i don't did we miss something i feel like maybe we missed uh, something i wrote yeah some notes
0: ben is gay
1: ben is gay ben is a drag gay, king ben is, oh
0: ben lip syncs he does a lip sync the dream
1: sequence is great um uh-huh. with the like kind of like metal yeah. Sheet thing that's like dragged out on someone on a Frank's space, Yeah.
0: The, and then, and then, uh, Laura Dern, right after he has the nightmare, he tells Sandy that he had a nightmare and she goes, well, I had a dream. And then she tells him all yeah, about his yeah, dream. Yeah. And again, like it was the, such a great dialogue between mm-hmm. like darkness and light nightmare and dream. His dream slowly became darker and scarier, whereas mm. her dream started in darkness and erupted yeah. with thousands of robins, which brought the light of love
1: yeah, to her yeah. life. And she's great in that scene; she's really great. Um, oh yeah, I I think my last note. Uh oh. My last note is uh, um, I mean it's not it's I wouldn't call it anything critical. I just it's a shout out to uh the band Mr. Bungle, one of my favorite bands, uh, in their first album, the self-titled Mr. Bungle. Um uses a lot of quotes from this movie, like ripped from the movie. Wow. Um and did they say baby won't fuck? There's a lot of parts of don't you fucking look at me. You know, that Des Hopper says and um and there's a part where they use from the film cuz don't you fucking look at me they'll, they'll use like in the lyrics. Of the song, you know, so the singer's singing it. But in one of the tunes, they rip straight from the movie. Um, it's like, I fucking hate warm beer, man. It makes me want to fucking puke. <laughs> the beer talk. <laughs> yeah. Makes me want to fucking puke, which is also like, all right. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I that yeah,
0: that's really funny.
1: Um but yeah, shout out to Mr. Bungle.
0: Shout out Mr. Bungle. I don't I'll listen to them. Um I had two lines that that I'll I'll leave with. And the first one was when he's ta- when he's telling Sandy, when Jeffrey is telling Sandy about Dorothy and about what he found about her that night that he hid in her closet. Wow. And he he says she has a husband and a son. Frank has kidnapped them and is like you cut off the ear to show her or or he says maybe maybe it he says she has a son and a a husband frank has them kidnapped i think she wants to die yeah just like the wording of it is so yeah yeah what why would you why would you say it like that mm-hmm. but that's like it's almost like impressionistic yeah dialogue in that way sometimes.
1: i think that's why kyle um why kyle has stuck around with with lynch for so long i think he like Um, he, he, he has this like good boy look to him, um, but with this kind of awareness underneath that doesn't overtake anything he's saying, but like he, he commits to the world and is a part of the world while also being a really strong, like, um, you know, Lynch uses him a lot as the, as the like. The od- who we identify with. Yeah, the, the other audience. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, agreed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then the last one I had was uh, Jeffrey says, I'm seeing something that was always hidden,
1: which when, I thought was when he's like talking to Sandy. Sandy. Yeah.
0: And she's like, You need to get out of this. And he, he's like, No, I'm going to keep going. And I think that that is like a good thesis for the film. I'm seeing mm-hmm. something that is always hidden. I think that kind of supports the idea of like the dream, yeah, coming in and out
1: and, um, and figuring
0: out what is what's there.
1: The the other two lines I have worth mentioning um, when they I think when they first meet and they're walking through the neighborhood. Jeffrey says, "All my old friends are gone."
0: Yeah, I have Which that is one kind too. Kind of like, all right, what uh-huh. the
1: whatever, um, and before. The, he goes up before Jeffrey goes up to Dorothy's apartment. I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. And it's like, yeah, that's, that about does it.
0: And he's like, that's for me to know. Yeah. you (laughs) Crazy fuck. Like what? Because he doesn't know. That is some crazy shit to say to someone. Not that he thinks he's a pervert, but he's still like contending with that. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, The list. Do you think it should be on the list?
1: yeah i'm i'm kind of surprised to see it on the list not to say uh um like david Lynch is obviously an art house favorite um i don't know i don't know i don't know why i'm surprised i think like it's it's a movie that that also kind of uh indul- not indulges but you know loves um the the quote unquote low art you know, um, that that's like all very much a part of it—melodrama mm. and um, kind of this heightened stuff. Um, that, in a way, that feels sincere. In a way, that's like loving, and, and that reminds me of like Fassbinder or Zirk. You know, um, so and, and that's not something that I typically associate with, like sight and sound kind of films. Uh-huh. You typically think of serious Bergman persona, yeah. you know close-up breathless um but uh yeah i think it should be on the list i think um it'll be interesting once we get to the bottom because i know mulholland drive is like in the top 10 um it's like number four yeah or yeah top five um because i i think this is like in my ranking i'd put inland empire first I don't know. I don't know. They're, it's kind of hard to rank as movies. They're, I mean, they're it's all so great. So personal. But it's yeah. like subjective. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. That point. Honestly, um, but like, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna put Lynch on it, like, I, 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 I agree with the way they did it. Like, they have one in the in the top ten, and they got one higher up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, yeah, I buy it. Great movie. Great yeah. movie.
0: I agree. I mean, I think. Uh totally agree. Like I see why it's on the list. I mean, I see the impact and the influence that it must have had on so many young filmmakers oh, and also for like sure. established filmmakers. Like you can do this.
1: Mm.
0: You can do this and get it made and put it in a film. Yeah. It it is a it is a If someone is like what is an auteur movie? Yeah. Blue Velvet. Yeah. Like look sure. at that. For sure, um, it's so great. I mean, I, I agree. It's it's not my favorite Lynch. Mm. Not even like I think it's of the four I've seen. I said I'd say I don't know. I love it. I think it's such a great film, um, and I think it's such a great showing of him as an artist. Yeah, and um, yeah, I I I think the list would be incomplete. Without, without, without some lynch without on it. some lynch on it yeah. especially like this kind of lynch yeah. because I think as he, as he keeps going you know it changes and like this is a this is a great to have Mohan Drive which represents like his later career and yep. this which represents his earlier career like just as he's getting into this kind of filmmaking mm-hmm. perfect yeah I'm, I dig it all the Agreed. way home
1: because <coughs> you know I think someone could argue, um, if you were to go, go about it this way, like, yeah, keep and dry, but do a racer head instead or some, or the elephant man, like do like that kind of early Lynch. Um, but I think blue velvet, I haven't seen the elephant man, but I, I think blue velvet has enough elements that can, that kind of can like summarize early Lynch, yeah. um, without needing a racer head, but I w- would honestly be happy if it was a racer head too. Again, like honey, you said it's kind of yeah. subjective, but I love, I fucking love a racer head so much. I think it's great. And, uh-huh. um, like I might prefer it to blue velvet, but, um, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not angry at this, you know, yeah. I'm not angry. Blue velvet's fucking great. Um, this was a nice kind of revisit cause I don't know when I would have rewatched it. Um, because yeah, it's not the first movie I would jump to when it comes to Lynch. No. If I'm gonna rewatch something, I'd probably go Racerhead or Inland Empire or, or Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, or Mulholland Motherfucking Drive. Yeah, um, which I'm very excited to watch. Can't wait to watch. <laughs> so excited yeah. to see it again. Yeah, dude. Which has some you know some more all timer performances. Oh yeah. Um, which is great. You know, I, I'll say one more thing. Um, the the way Lynch can like pull amazing performances. In, in the heightened, not heightened, but I mean, it's a heightened world, but like th- with dream logic is is a really delicate uh, mm-hmm. balance and something I admire him greatly for that like we can watch these movies that don't feel real and come out of it thinking like, wow, those performances were amazing. Like sure. there's still a, hum- a humanity to his totally. movies that I, that I really love. And yeah,
0: I think he's such a master or not even a master, just like such a... Just a, a
1: neophyte.
0: <laughs> he's a troglodyte. <laughs> he is such a great artist, and he is... I, I, I worship him. I worship Whoa. him. I love David
1: Lynch. It's all right.
0: Well, shall we call it a day?
1: Let's call it a day. Thanks uh, for listening. Uh, next you... week, we're watching Historia Do Cinema. We're going to do our best to get our yeah, hands on a copy. Let's do it. And watch a five-hour thing. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our conversation. We hope you watched the movie and enjoyed yeah. it. And uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. It feels so good to be back chopping through this list. Um, but Number you'll 16. you'll already be back. Yeah. Um. Okay. White whale next week. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.